Good morning. Very happy Thanksgiving to everyone present here from our family. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 25 to 36, found on page 1030 for our Pew Bibles. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must be greater, and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of life you have given to each one of us today. We thank you we're able to gather under this church and worship with our church family. We pray for wisdom for our church leadership, and we pray that you'll make a way for our friends Ianus to come over to Canada soon. We ask you speak your words to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned earlier, this is the last installment of our Persevering by Faith in Christ Jesus and in hope in Christ Jesus. And uh, we, we may return back to that first half of Romans 8. We'll have to see those last couple of texts and messages that we uh, didn't get to. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see about that later on. Over the last four Sundays, we've looked at the words and the actions and the events surrounding Jesus Christ. In the last few verses of chapter 2 and then now the whole chapter, chapter 3 of John's Gospel. And in the last few verses of chapter 2, we saw and came to understand that Jesus knew then, and he knows now, what is in the heart of human beings. 
Therefore, he did not entrust himself to them. In other words, even Jesus needed to protect his own human heart. I'll just read the verses now. This is verse 23, 24, and 25 of chapter 2. Now, when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. But that wisdom to protect his own heart from the selfishness, fickleness, unreliability, and treachery, all tendencies of the fallen human heart, did not dissuade him, did not deter him, did not prevent him from being real in his relationships with us, from speaking the truth and love to us, or ultimately to give himself up for us, indeed for the sins of the whole world. Because Jesus knew human beings through and through, even to the point he knew he could not entrust himself to us, still he loves us. Still, he calls us to hope in God through faith in himself. Still, his knowledge of us allows him to speak to us personally and directly. So under the title, True Biblical Christian Discipleship, Hearing Jesus, we looked in on a conversation in John 3, verses 1 to 15, between Jesus and Nicodemus, a leading religious leader and scholar of Jesus' day, whom the Holy Spirit clearly was drawing to God. And the bottom line of that conversation is that in order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to be saved, in order to be reconciled to God and fellow human beings, we must be born again. Now, another way of putting this, which is an equally good and perhaps even better contextual translation of these verses, is that those who would enter God's kingdom must be born from above. In other words, something of heaven must come down to join with us, to indwell us, to bring our dead spirits to life. Because of sin, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we need to be raised from the dead. And that something of heaven is a someone by which we must be born from above, born again, and he is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the very spirit of Jesus Christ, the personal presence of the risen Christ. And he adopts us into God's family. He gives us entry into God's own kingdom, which is from above, and our ultimate and eternal home with God in Christ Jesus. All of this is guaranteed for those who are born again or born from above in and by the Holy Spirit, who is the very spirit of Christ. Now, for us to understand and respond in any way to this essential truth, before we can either accept and respond to it in faith or reject it and denounce it as nonsense, we must first hear it. We must first hear Jesus. And so with Nicodemus, then we hear today Jesus' challenge, we must be born again. We must be born from above. 
Now, in the second message, entitled The True Biblical Christian Discipleship, Believing Jesus, we learned that at some point we must move beyond hearing Jesus to believing Jesus. Hearing is good and necessary. It's the first necessary step to believing. But hearing is not believing, even with Jesus, as we saw with Nicodemus. But what must we believe? We must believe the gospel. The message, all of which is encapsulated in John 3, verses 16 to 17, 4, in this way, remember we had a, a quite a detailed conversation about the word so and how it's, it, it's not actually in the text and it probably communicates, if, if not ineffectively, at least inaccurately, what is being said here. Where John is speaking not of quantity here, he's talking about quality. So he's not talking about God's love being so great for us, which it is. But he's talking about God's love for us has been delivered in this way that he gave his only son. So for in this way, God loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In many ways, these two verses reveal the pivot point of history. Think about this. All God has done in history, including and especially through the historical, physical man, Jesus Christ, has been to save the world and not to condemn the world, including us human beings. In other words, because of what God has done in Christ Jesus, we now can choose either eternal life by faith or perishing eternally in unbelief. Now, the reason it's so serious and that it's literally Jesus or hell rather than, say, Jesus or a timeout is precisely because the only way for God to save humanity and the world, that is the cosmos, both from sin and the consequences of sin, which is death, was for God to send his one and only son. That's it. That's the only way humanity could be saved. As he, God's son, is altogether holy and righteous, and he came to offer himself up on the cross as the perfect and perfectly satisfactory sacrifice for sins to God himself. He took upon himself our sin. He took upon himself our condemnation. He took upon himself our judgment and our punishment that we might live if we'll simply believe in him and receive what he has done on our behalf. I want us to get this this morning because many people get hung up on this question or, or, or avoid this question because they don't know how to answer it and they're afraid of the answer perhaps. If God is good, if God is merciful, if God is truly loving, how could it be just two choices, Jesus or hell? Listen very carefully, and you can read along with me. Because of the infinite personal cost to God in Christ Jesus... 
And because of God's sovereign, holy, just, and righteous integrity, there can be no other way than the one God has provided in his holy love, grace, mercy, and compassion. This is the gospel. Because of the infinite personal cost to God in Christ Jesus himself, and because of God's sovereign, holy, just, and righteous integrity, there can be no other way than the one God has provided already in his holy love, grace, mercy, and compassion, namely sending his son to die for the sins of the whole world. But even so, we must get beyond hearing the gospel, hearing the singular message of salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ, to believing that Jesus is the one and only way for you, for me, for us, for our family members, for everyone who would believe, indeed, for the world. And as we further saw from last Sunday in our message entitled, True Biblical Christian Discipleship, Obeying Jesus, true disciples of Jesus, those who've heard Jesus and believed Jesus, will now move on to obey Jesus. And here's why. The Holy Spirit who saves us, who causes us to be born again, who causes us to be born from above is the same Spirit of Christ who leads and enables us to live in obedience to God's word and will, continuously transforming us into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And because we know John chooses his material based on the theological point that he means to make, we can also know that what comes next is intentional. It means something in the context that it is placed in John's gospel. And what comes next in the text is the baptism of believers or disciples by immersion in water. We know that John the baptizer started it as a foreshadowing of Jesus. John the baptizer also baptized Jesus as Jesus sought to fulfill all righteousness with John. And Jesus gave as a part of his great commission to his disciples explicit instruction to do the same. And the risen Jesus came and said to the 11 remaining disciples or apostles, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. The word here is observe. It could quite readily be translated as obey, and that's, a, that's the intention, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Which is to say, do this and keep doing this until I return for you from glory to glory. Amen. So we're hearing Jesus as his disciples and church. We're believing Jesus as his disciples and church. And we're obeying Jesus as his disciples and church. This morning, and until he comes, we're going to be trusting Jesus as his disciples and church. All these are ongoing in the lives of true disciples of Jesus Christ and in the various ministries of 
of his true church. I want to pause here for just a moment and, and pray before we continue. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we want to invite you to speak to us by your word and your spirit. We know that the, the supreme expression of your word is Jesus Christ himself, the word made flesh, the eternal word, the eternal son. And we also know that you have given us your Holy Spirit to, to cause us to have open eyes and open hearts and open mouths that we might proclaim you, that we might uh, hear your word, your gospel, and, and grow and, 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 and not only live a feeble life, but to live an abundant life as Jesus has always intended, a life that is filled with love and joy and grace and peace and self-control and kindness and gentleness, all of those aspects of the Holy Spirit that we read about in your word. I pray, Lord, that if there be anyone here this morning who, who has not surrendered their lives to you, not trusted you as Savior and Lord, not understood that they must be born again, they must be born from above, I pray that you would give them that insight this morning, Lord. Make them live because of Jesus. And it's his, in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I, 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 I forgot. I, I lost my place in the uh, slides, so we're back. I'm finding these days that I am being forced, both by calling and by circumstance, to trust God in Christ Jesus more than ever. Perhaps it's not as dramatic a fashion as some other seasons in my life. Perhaps it's not as obvious because a lot of it is on the inside. But it surely requires more faith and more hope and real trust. I am these days and for the rest of my days on the physical and perhaps cognitive decline. Now, that's not necessarily a profound statement because that's true for all of us. We're fallen human beings and we don't have long for this world, whether it's 20 days or 20 years or, you know, 50 years. But for, for me these days and for others also, I'm not for, for a moment trying to suggest that my plight is worse than anybody else's. It's not. It's better than most, in fact. But this decline, both physical and cognitive, is faster, it's more obvious and more decisive than I ever couldn't have imagined. I told my neurologist this past week on Thursday morning, sitting there in his office, that I still cannot believe three years after he diagnosed me that I have Parkinson's. I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. I never planned for this. I never thought about this one time before, say five years ago. I certainly never anticipated. And he said, well, you do have Parkinson's. This was his honest and compassionate response. You don't have to accept it or even believe it. It's not a death sentence, but you will have to live with it from now on. In those moments last Thursday morning, sitting in his clinical office, 
where he does clinical evaluations and makes clinical diagnoses of dreaded neurological disorders. My doctor was both able to speak the truth and somehow to do it in a compassionate way, and I was grateful. I take great solace this morning that the one who cares for us most is also the one who came from above, deliberately and purposefully, for me and for you, for us and for everyone who would believe, indeed to make right everything that is wrong in this world. And yes, there will come a time when there will be no more Parkinson's disease or its nastier cousins, progressive supranuclear palsy, for example, or Lewy body d- dementia, uh, for another example, or Huntington's disease. But as we await our final and ultimate deliverance from sin and death, from disease and all manner of disorder that sin hath wrought, we can hope and we can trust in Jesus. It's what true disciples do, regardless of the circumstance in which we find ourselves. And yes, it makes no earthly sense. And yes, it sounds to some as pie-in-the-sky delusional thinking to get by another day. But truly, do they have a better solution? No, they do not. And the reason they don't, which is the reason we don't, is that there is no better, no more lasting, and no more satisfying solution. Jesus really is the answer. So, how can we be so sure, you ask? Well, I'd like for you to read along with me in John chapter 3, verses 31 and following. Now, there is some, some discussion in the, in the literature about whether this is a continuation of the conversation that John the Baptist is having, or if this is a, 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 a new insert of the narrator, because John the Apostle, it's a little bit confusing because we've got John the Apostle writing the book, and we've got John the Bi- Baptizer now baptizing and then giving input into he must uh, decrease as Jesus increases. So who's the he uh, here? Well, of course, he who comes from above is speaking of Jesus, who is the Son of God eternally um, and forever. But who's the speaker here? It's not clear. If if you just read it, it feels like it might be John the Baptizer continuing on. But I think it's probably more the case that this is John the narrator, John the apostle, John the writer of the gospel coming back in and then forming theological content from the conversation that just occurred. I think that's probably what we have here. We probably have John... The, uh, the apostle, the writer of the gospel, coming back in. Now, I've got my English Standard Version Bible here, and that's not the way that they interpret it. They don't have uh, quotation marks at the beginning uh, here. And so they interpret it as simply John the narrator s- uh, inserting his own thoughts and not a continuation of a conversation. And I think that's okay. I think it is John, uh, the apostle here, speaking and not John the baptizer. It just doesn't sound, it, it sounds much more like John the apostle um, as he has written both in the gospel up until this point as he continues on and then especially as he writes in his letters, especially the first letter. This sounds just like him. 
And he, he says here in verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. So he is asserting two things here, that Jesus came from above, that he came from heaven, the right hand of God the Father on high. And he's asserting that Jesus is in authority over all others. Now, in that day, to John the Apostle, writing this gospel... He probably wrote this later than the other Gospels. This is, this, this is traditionally understood to be the last Gospel written. He probably wrote this Gospel 80 AD, maybe, maybe 90. The book of Revelation is understood to be his last book. And he probably wrote that late in, in the 90s, 95 or so. Uh, and, and this may have been written as... as Late as that, and may have been written simultaneously or one after the other. There's no uh, way to really date it um, uh, precisely. But he is asserting that Jesus is above all other authorities, including Caesar, including the high priest, including all other religious leaders and scholars, that Jesus is above all. Why? Because he came from above, because he is God in the flesh. The he here is Jesus, 31. Jesus, who comes from above, is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth. That is, he who is created. That's us. That's John the baptizer. That's John the apostle writing this gospel. He's, he's not saying you bad people out there. He's saying all of us who are made of dirt and breathed life into by the spirit of God. All of us came from the earth and will return to the earth. We know that from the rest of scripture. And he's saying that he who is, uh, is of the earth, that's us, human, just regular human beings, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. That's the best we can do. And that's what John is saying here. He's saying we need to recognize who we are, our place in creation, and then we need to listen to the one who came from above. That's what he's about to say. Verse 31 again. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. And the first thing I want us to think about here is this. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, creator and king of all that lives and all that exists. And while I think we can probably conclude this just from John chapter 3, I, I think that that's exactly what he means here. I, I think that he's writing it uh, cogently enough and clearly enough. Um, but if we take a look, just a brief look at other, a couple of other places, I think we'll even get it more clearly. Turn back with me to John chapter 1, that famous prelude of the Gospel of John. For sure, this is the most theological prelude in uh, the Bible, and including the Gospels. Um, it's, it's very familiar to most of us, and it, it is profound to me. I, I never tire of going back to these verses. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 1 of John's Gospel, just a few, few pages back from where we just were. Uh, in the beginning 
was the word. Now, we've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to go out to seed on it, but uh, this is a clear shadow of the creation story, right? In the beginning, God here in the beginning was God. The word is the point. In the beginning was the word, the logos. So logos can be taken uh, a, a number of ways. Um, in this in this sense, logos is the highest principle of truth in the in the Greek language in Greek philosophy. The highest principle of truth, the logos. We might even put it with a capital L, logos. And we see this throughout the New Testament, Jesus being referred to as the Logos, the Word of God made flesh. And the Word, the Logos, was was with God. Okay, that's good. We're connected to somebody who was with God. And the Word, Logos, was God. So he wasn't only with God, he wasn't only beside God, he wasn't only in the beginning with God, he himself was and is God. And who's the referent? The referent is Jesus Christ. Verse 2. He, the Logos, the Word, Jesus Christ, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. So you, you see I've got there on the, on the, on the um, screen. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, creator and king of all that lives and all that exists. And often, I know we do translate or, 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 or um, uh, uh, mix the Father and Creator together. Well, biblically speaking, Jesus is actually the Creator, the one who made all that exists. And we, we see that right here, verse 3. All things were made through him. Through whom? Through the word, the logos, Jesus Christ. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Jump down with me to verse 14. I just love these words. And I, this is one of my favorite. I've said this many times about many verses, but this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, this is why I love this verse. Because it, it literally says, and the, the logos became flesh and tabernacled among us. The picture is the tabernacle that went with God's people and God himself dwelt in that tabernacle in the Holy of Holies once they got it set up, right? He came to dwell with his people in the Holy of Holies. And so this is saying that Jesus, the word that became flesh, came and pitched his tent literally with his people. I just love that imagery. I'll, I'll never tire of it. And the word, the Logos, became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. There's another reference. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And there, parenthetically then, uh, the narrator, John, the, John the, the Apostle, sticks this in. John bore witness about him. Now we're talking again about John, John the Baptizer. 
not John the Apostle, but John the Baptizer, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Then John continues with his John the Apostle continues with his argument, verse 16. For from his fullness, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him, the Father, known. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful truth that I will never tire of it. So, because Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, creator of all that lives and all that exists, he knows perfectly and infinitely what the truth is because he is the truth. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Again, another very familiar verse. And one that we simply can't get around when we are talking about Jesus and nothing else. Jesus and no one else. No other hope in anyone else but Jesus. Verse 6 of chapter uh, 14, rather, in John's gospel, Jesus said to him, he's speaking to to his disciples and, and specifically speaking to Thomas here, who's asking him some questions. Jesus said to him, I am the way... And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So every once in a while, I'll run into somebody that says, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Not true. We have this along with a number of other verses that we could turn to where Jesus makes very clear. I am, first of all, is God. The way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And here in verse 31 of chapter 3, John the Apostle, as he's writing by the Spirit, affirms that Jesus came from above and he is above all. Um, Now, the the second and last thing I, I want us to look at, we're almost done, is this. Apart from the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, no one can know God believe in or even recognize Jesus, be saved, or avoid God's wrath because of sin. Because we will not know how to believe, we will not know to believe, we will will not believe apart from the Holy Spirit's opening our minds and our hearts. We can't take any credit for it. It is all the Spirit's work to bring us to God through Christ. Verse 32, look at this. He, that is Jesus, bears witness... To what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives this testimony. Seen and heard. Jesus, all that Jesus has seen and heard. He's talking about from eternity past to this present moment. He's saying that Jesus knows everything. He's seen everything. He speaks into everything. And yet we do not receive his testimony. Verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony, sets his seal to this, that God is true. So when we we receive Jesus' testimony, we are saying that God is true. If God is true, Jesus is true. This is the, we might even call it a tautology. It's not necessarily a good thing. In in most places, it's it's an argument that confirms itself. Um, But but this is circular reasoning that is uh, sanctified 
and is perfect in its simplicity. He, Jesus, bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal, his his affirmation, his endorsement, his soul, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The he here is uh, a little bit ambiguous. Is this, is this God giving the Spirit or is this Jesus giving the Spirit? And, and biblically speaking, when we search the scriptures, it's both. It's yes and and. It's yes, God, the Father. Yes, God, the, the Son sends the Holy Spirit. And we looked at, a, at an example of that uh, some uh, weeks ago when Jesus said to the disciples and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus giving the Holy Spirit and the, the Father does as well. Verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So this is Jesus receiving all things, as he said in Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission, all authority has been in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, this is another uh, affirmation of that in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What's the point? The point is we can't believe in the Son apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, we believe. That happened to my sister a couple weeks ago. The Holy Spirit comes, we believe. That's the process. It's, it's as simple and as unsearchable as that. So if you can't believe, I was in a place one time when, when I w- knew I wasn't saved. I'd just come back from the Gulf War. I knew that I hadn't surrendered my life to Christ. And I tried to believe. With all my might in it, I tried to believe. We can't believe by force of will or by trick of intellect or by work, working hard. We believe when the Holy Spirit comes. So if you're in that place and you can't believe, you want to believe, ask the Holy Spirit To give you saving faith. Ask him. Saving faith. Lord, please give me the faith to believe in you. Because I can't do it on my own. Which is an honest confession. And perfectly true. Whoever does not obey the Son. Shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Amen. Well, I'm going to close now because I'm over... The, the time that I allotted to myself. But I'd like for us to review once more our central truth of the message and of this series. I read it early on this morning in our service. Here it is. True biblical Christian discipleship is a life continuously transformed. Continuously transformed by God's word and spirit into the image of God's son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Hearing Jesus, believing Jesus, obeying Jesus, trusting Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we do once again thank you for this, your word. We thank you for your spirit who opens our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the truth who is Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that if there be any unbelieving soul here today, that you would give him or her the faith to believe. We know that we are completely dependent upon you in this regard. 
And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to open all of our minds, all of our hearts, all of our um, uh, souls, really, uh, to the truth of the gospel, our need for it, and our um, uh, receiving of it. Thank you, Lord, for bringing each person here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. On this Thanksgiving Sunday, let's uh, hear these words as we, as we depart from this place. And once again, if you're looking for lunch, come on downstairs and join in. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Lord Jesus, we, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your offering of yourself for us. This is Thanksgiving Sunday, and may we give thanks to you. May we direct our attention to you. May we direct our speech to you. May we direct our gratitude to you for coming and you father for sending and you holy spirit for giving us the ability to receive we pray lord that uh, as we share in this meal that you would bless it to us and that uh, you would also allow us to share true fellowship in your spirit with god the father god the son and with each other in jesus name amen see you next time